Here's the pitch. Oliver wants to throw. He's got Lance Carl open. Caught. 15, 10, 5, touchdown. The Buffaloes at four on a 53-yard pass from O.C. Oliver to Lance Carl. Running the option on first down. Hagan has it. He has room. He's got one man to beat. Now he pitches to Flanagan, and he may take it all the way. Flanagan's in for the touchdown. Welcome into a new Buff Stampede radio. Adam Munster Tiger, the publisher of BuffStampede.com, joined by football analyst William Gardner. William, uh, a lot's changed uh, since the last time we chatted. You are a married man now. Yeah, married. Uh, I, you know, that's like almost the, the least of everything that's gone on. I, when when was our last time? It was. I think it was the all-time CU drafts that we did. It it feels honestly, it feels like years ago. It's been 310 days since CU last played a football game, and when they kick off the season, presumably on November 7th, it would have been 342 days between CU football games. That's just way too long. I don't know if you can hear it in my voice, but I'm excited for today's show because we can actually talk about camp, which is going to get started probably uh, probably this this coming week weekend. Uh, you don't want to talk about the presidential debate and COVID and all that kind of stuff. I mean, <laughs> hard pass. But, you know, the thing, though, is that with this daily testing, there's going to be some teams that are going to have games canceled. I don't think yeah. there's any chance that the majority of these Pac-12 teams go through their schedule without any issues. That That is still something that we have to talk about, unfortunately. Yeah, that's one of our questions that's down there. And I'm more ready to – I mean, you know, that that's not – political necessarily that's just reality of the right. current world until we get some kind of new normal under the this whole COVID thing they came out with the schedule on saturday morning and the the only thing we didn't know was who c was going to play from the north and they drew stanford which uh in previous years you wouldn't be excited about that and it's still a good program but they had a lot of guys transfer out there's questions about that program now under David Shaw for really the first time in his tenure there. Uh, it's a very favorable schedule for CU, and there really isn't anybody on that schedule that we can't beat. The toughest team on there, Arizona State, probably we get at home, so that's an advantage. Probably the next Utah is a team that lost pretty much everything, and so we get them in Boulder as well. So I, I think it's a very favorable schedule. Well, what's interesting is before we went on the air here to record this podcast, betonline.ag released the regular season over under win lines for each team in the conference. They had Colorado at one and a half wins. Um, and so that, uh, that just shows you what the outside expectations are. I mean, obviously 
with the, the quarterback uncertainty and the, in the coaching change and Levis with Chenault going to the NFL. I, I can see reasons why the outside expectations would be that low, but I would be surprised if they don't win two or three games with this schedule. Yeah, it seems kind of silly to me to have us at that level. I don't think they really have done their homework. We're as, we're as stacked and loaded, I think, at every every position um, on this team as we've been in quite a while, including the 2016 season. And we have some senior leadership, you know, obviously the big question at quarterback. But uh, there's a lot coming back on this team that's pretty good. So I think we're as good as any team on that schedule. The two big question marks are how does this new staff, how well do they do getting the team ready? And, you know, what do we do with the QB position? There's not going to be any fans in the stands for Pac-12 games this year. How much do you feel like that takes away from the excitement over the season? Well, I think it's a, it, there, there's a couple of ways to look at it. I think people are so excited just to get football back that in many ways we're just happy to get whatever we can get. But certainly it takes away a lot of the excitement over the season because, you know, what we love, I think, about college football is the pageantry and the and the, and the tailgating and seeing old friends and band and, and everything that goes into being there. And, you know, there's a really great atmosphere, Folsom Field, that we're going to miss. You know, and it's certainly going to be very different for the players not having anybody up in those stands yelling and screaming and carrying on. So I think it takes away a lot of the excitement over the season. But I think we're all just happy to have something. So I think that makes up for a little bit. The Pac-12 network re-airs games because obviously what else do they have to put on on the air here? But they've been doing those games where they condense them down in, in 60 minutes. And if I'm watching TV, I'll kind of see if there's a CU game. And I've caught in probably five or six games here in the last few months. And it, it's just crazy to see that many people together because we've been in this COVID world for long enough now where it's like, man, I it feels like we'll never be back in that place. And that just sounds so pessimistic. But it's just crazy seeing games from the past with, with all the fans in the stands. Yeah, we're, we all have a very different um, – I think we've been conditioned over the last six, seven, eight months to see things very differently. So I, it's going to be weird, I think, and it's going to be strange, but it's what we got. And so we'll just move forward with it. And, and um, I don't know. I mean, I, I don't know how exciting it's going to be or not be to not be able to actually be there. So we'll just see how it goes. Carl Durrell said, I feel like we have plenty of time to get this team ready to compete for a championship. So uh, he's not downplaying expectations within the program. Uh, you know, obviously that's what a coach is going to say, but it, it's clear that he's calling kind of falling in line with, with the kind of the no excuses aspect of things, which Mike McIntyre did some good things as the head coach at CU, but that was the thing that I think frustrated fans a lot of the time was that when things didn't go well, he would have an excuse. And I don't think we're going to see that from Carl Drell, which, which is a positive sign. Yeah. I mean, I mean, that's what a coach is going to say for the most part. I mean, that's what I thought when I saw that quote is like, well, that's what a coach is going to say. Um, but I appreciate that Carl Durrell, he's been, first of all, he's been here before, so he knows what's possible here. He's not like a McIntyre coming from the outside who has no, had no real, real connection with the history of CU football. Carl Durrell's been here. He knows what can happen here, what can be done here. And frankly, it's up to the coach to, to develop that. You know, do we have, do they have enough time? Well, you know, they didn't get spring ball. We've got a brand new coaching staff. 
but they've had a lot of, uh, you know, notepads practices to kind of walk through their offense and defensive schemes. The, the defensive scheme shouldn't change that much with the coaches that are back. Um, so will they be ready to compete for a championship? Well, for a chance, let's get ready to compete for a game. Let's get ready to compete with UCLA and, and start there. Um, and I think they get four weeks of practice to get ready for that. And I, you know, the only advantage at UCLA is I don't know whether they got spring ball in or not, but, um, I think there's enough time to get ready for that game. And then you go game to game and, and work on what you didn't do well. I do think maybe without the spring ball and all the fall camp that you really need to maybe cut your offense down a little bit, cut your defense down a little bit. And don't try to do everything that first year. Yeah. Not having the team be able to work out together because the Boulder ordinance here has not been obviously a great situation for them as they're gearing up and ramping up to, to try to get ready for the season. But if you look back to all the way to June, CU has gotten in as much or more work than any team in the conference. So they, they utilize that 12 hour rule. Um, and before that they had voluntary workouts that were well attended. So uh, the, the key is obviously these guys have the onus the, the, during this two weeks to, to put work in, but I don't, I don't think that's going to be, a disadvantage for them. Well, I think we have a lot of senior and older experienced player leadership on this team. we got a lot of guys that have played a lot of football. Um, so we're not a young team that doesn't really know how to do it. These guys have been there and they know what they need to do. And, and so that's going to help in that regard as well. You know, Carl Durrell's not coming in and having to reload a, uh, it, it, it's not like he comes in in 2017 after all the seniors that did what they did graduated. You know, so there's a lot of people back that, that know how to get this done and, and can get those younger guys and make them work hard. So I'm optimistic about it. So Colorado has eight scholarship seniors, and we've heard that that they could theoretically come back in 2021 and compete again. But I think as a CU fan, wouldn't you kind of go into this with the expectation that this is probably the last time you're going to see Nate Lamb in, in a buff uniform, probably the last time you're going to see Mustafa Johnson play for CU, and probably the last time for Katie Nixon, uh, probably James Stofano as well. We'll see if any of those seniors do come back. I think Akari Kush would be an example of a guy that you'd probably love to bring back in 2021. But right. for, for some of those marquee seniors, I'm, I'm assuming these are probably going to be their last seven games as a CU player. Wouldn't that be your expectation going in? Well, you know, I think it depends on, on, on frankly, how well they do. And, and, you know, I think pretty much all of our guys have, have at least a question mark after their name with regards to playing at the next level. So, you know, does Mustafa Johnson and Nate Lamman answer those questions to the, to the extent that they can go play in the NFL? Maybe that plays into a little bit. Maybe, you know, maybe if they, get hurt, can't play this season, they're back next year. So, you know, like, a, I, I don't know. Uh, I, I just think it's, it's, it's hard to say at this point. I, I don't think anybody that everything about this year, 2020 is uncertain, you know, so nobody really knows. I think we're, I think it's probably your safest bet is to assume they're not coming back, but let's see how the season plays out. I mean, I don't think Katie Nixon's coming back. He almost didn't come back this year, but let's see how it plays out. And I think it's an unprecedented situation 
And, you know, some guys may be done with football. Maybe they're tired of it. Other guys just love the game and they want to get, keep on playing. So we'll see how it goes. There, it, it may well be that some of these guys play so well that they're obviously going to be NFL prospects and others maybe not. So I'm not sure it's a foregone conclusion, but it's probably a safe bet. So how many games do we actually think the Buffs are going to get in this fall? I think, William, it's 24 college football games that have been postponed through the first four weeks of the season. And uh, with the Pac-12, there's no wiggle room in there. That's seven straight weeks, no bye week in there. You, You saw Virginia Tech play this past Saturday against Duke when they had 21 players out due to COVID. So uh, I, it's hard to expect with, you know, is, is the over under on, on, is it set at like five or six games you think in terms of how many they actually get in? I don't know. You know, I, I, I think I've said when I've discussed this with friends all year is we're not going to finish the season. And I don't know whether that's changed or not. It seems to me that there's been a lot of, of, improvements in terms of how we deal with this pandemic on a lot of different levels. I don't have enough information about how the other programs are running their show to say one way or the other. I think Colorado is going to do a good job of keeping people safe, but then what happens when you get in games and other, and you're, I I just don't see how you make this work to be perfectly honest with you with 22 guys out there on the field and all on the sidelines and what have you. I don't know. I'd say four. I think we get four of them in, maybe. Okay. And hope for the best. You just, you're going to have issues. There's no question about it. But, uh, well, yeah. I think if you can go into the game, you know, okay, so like a team, you know, the, 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 you mentioned that uh, played without 21 guys, right? Play the game anyway. Okay, play it with the guys that are healthy and let them get some game experience. That's my view. You know, and, and then play with the guys that you got there and you play some young guys. You're not going to lose eligibility for it, right? So let's play the games anyway. Let's get some guy, get guys on the field and let them learn and play. And, but we'll see. You know, uh, at the end of the day, it has to be about the safety of these kids. Let we'll just take a, a one week at a time and, and hope for the best. So who's going to win the starting quarterback job? Oh boy. Well, you know that's another one. Who the heck knows? I mean, I think part of it, first of all, depends on what kind of an offense are we going to do and what are we going to ask these guys to do. How much are we going to ask of them? Uh, I, I tend to think that, that Tyler Lytle starts the season as the starter. Um, but, you know, as some people have raised on the board, we haven't seen enough of him on the on the field to make him the automatic guy in terms of games, but he hasn't really been given a shot to do that either. New quarterback coach is a, is a wild card in the whole thing. And I just don't even know what kind of offense we're going to run yet. So it, it remains to be seen. I think it's going to be, between him and Brendan Lewis neck and neck all the way through all six, seven games. So I think you start out with the older guy and, and give him, and he gets the first shot and, and you go from there. Tyler Lytle is never going to be confused as a dual threat quarterback, but he put some impressive testing times in terms of how fast he was moving during those summer workouts. It's clear that Tyler Lytle has, has worked a lot because when he got on campus, there's no he, way he could put it, put together the times that he did this summer. He's really worked on that. Well, and I think also, do we need or do we really need a dual threat quarterback given the talent we have a wide receiver and running back? You know, do we really want our quarterback to be the one running with the ball? Let's get the ball out to those other guys. But, you know, if Brendan Lewis is, is, is just as electric as, as he's made out to be, maybe so. I don't know. 
Would you agree that Brennan Lewis probably was hurt the most by the fact there weren't 15 traditional spring practices? Uh, I think a couple of those young offensive linemen really could have had a shot if they got all those practices. But, yeah, you're probably right. I think Brendan Lewis had the opportunity to come in and really prove that he's the guy. Um, that being said, maybe we lose Tyler Lytle to a transfer under those circumstances. So it could have gone both ways. But, yeah, I think Brendan Lewis needed those those practices to come in and show that he can transfer his game to this level, that he can play with guys that are big and fast and can run. You know, and the question mark for him is is more so his arm and can he make the right decisions. And I think quarterbacks coming out of high school are not prepared for the speed of the defensive backs and the, and the defensive linemen, frankly. So that's a thing he needs to see live before you really know whether he's going to make it at this level. I don't think he's really going to be in the mix to, to start this year, obviously, but I'm also anxious to hear – what Mike Chandler the second looks like could because on film he's coming out of the San Antonio area he looked pretty electric on film and, and seemed to be a pretty darn good get as a preferred walk on at that position. Yeah, I mean you know he's he's you know he's listed six foot one eighty five is he really six foot probably not you know they tend to fudge that a little bit so it's, it's his height's going to be his big thing but he kind of put up ridiculous statistics at, at really I think it's the high one of the highest levels of Texas football you know he's a game changer not your typical stand back and fling it kind of quarterback, but he's certainly a guy who is a dynamic athlete and makes things happen and makes plays happen. So again, you know, what kind of offense do you want to have? Maybe he's a guy that you get in there for a few snaps a game because he is so different and you catch the defense by surprise. I don't know. I mean, that would be something I would look at. And running back, you've got seven scholarship guys there now. None of them are seniors. Obviously, Alex Fontenot and Jaron Mangum had the bulk of the carries last year and did a pretty admirable job there. And you bring in a blue chip guy like Ashad Clayton. I've said this before. Typically, you don't bring in a blue chip running back to have them stand on the sidelines. Uh, you can't forget about Deion Smith. He's shown some potential. That's maybe one of those positions you look at in – you finally kind of cultivated some of this depth that this program has been lacking in, in most spots. Right. Depth and talent both, you know? And so, I mean, I, I, I'm a huge fan of Alex Fontenot, you know, and obviously he's a guy that causes some controversy on the board and some people don't see it. And I'm like, well, you know, what the hell? I mean, the guy came out and did it as a sophomore and, I thought he had a really great season. And so I'm excited about him. He's got the size. People say, well, he doesn't have the breakaway speed. Well, you know, Philip Lindsay didn't have the breakaway speed those first couple of years either. So we'll see what he brings back to the table this year. Darren Mangum was just a true freshman. So you expect him to be uh, better this year around after he's got some experience. And as you said, Ashad Clayton, I, you know, um, I've been around long enough to see the blue chip running backs come and go and not live up to the hype. So I'm skeptical until I actually see it at this level. And then, you know, Deion Smith, Jarek Broussard, Joe Davis, those are all guys who in previous years at CU in the last 10, 15 years could well have been the guy, right? Now they're kind of lost in the shuffle. So competition tends to bring out the best in real competitors and athletes so let's throw them all in there and let iron sharpen iron and let's see who comes out on top obviously intriguing battles are going to ensue at receiver as well this is maurice bell and daniel arias have, have kind of waited their turn and now they have that chance to, to really get significant playing time out there with katie nixon and dimitri stanley and i recently did a 
a feature where I picked out one wild card player at each position, a guy that has a chance to play this year that maybe we forget about. And, and who I selected at receiver was Jalen Jackson, who, you know, we, we kind of forgot about because he got hurt so much early in his career. And he's finally been able to stay healthy for a while, had that big play in the Nebraska game last year. Uh, it's going to be hard for Chev to make all these guys happy, just like it's going to be hard for Hagen to keep all those running backs happy, don't you think? Yeah, and I think, you know, I had a last thought on those running backs is that each one brings maybe a different strength to the, to the game. And so maybe you can use them in different situations to do different things for you, you know, pass protection, short yardage, goal line, I don't know, whatever. And it's the same thing is true for the wide receivers. So you, you have guys who do different things like Daniel Arias is, a, is a, a matchup problem for most defenses with his height and speed. And then Jalen Jackson is looks pretty fearless over the middle, you know, as a slot guy. And you just have a lot of guys there. Um, maybe you just shuffle a lot of guys in, in different situations and use them in different ways. And then, you know, you, you have what I think is a truly fantastic true freshman class of wide receivers. And do any of those guys jump in there? I mean, good Lord. Some of those guys look like they're, they're juniors and seniors in college already, you know, like Brendan Rice for crying out loud or, or Montana, Lamonius Craig, Keith Miller. These are big, fast guys. So yeah, you, you have a, if, if you're Chev, you got to figure out a way to use these guys in the best way. And it's got to happen fast. I mean, there's no, there's no um, working our way into this. We got six games and they're in four weeks. So boom, you better figure it out. At tight end, Taylor Embry got pretty creative on the recruiting trail when he came in and just didn't have a lot of bodies in that room. And he brings in three walk-on transfers at tight end. Matt Lynch and Nick Fisher are both graduate transfers, so they'll be eligible to play right away. Jake Peters was hoping that he'd get a waiver, but I haven't heard anything there. I'm not sure if he's going to be in the mix. What were you expecting from those guys? Obviously, we know what, what the Buffs had in Brady Russell, and he's going to be the top guy there. But uh, do, do you see any of those newcomers you know, having significant playing time this year. Yeah. You know, and so again, I have a, a last thought going back to the last talk about the receivers and the running backs and the, what we discussed before in terms of missing games and having a bunch of, if, you know, if a guy sit out, if a guy has to sit out because he tests positive, we got some guys behind him who can play. So maybe that's a real advantage in this particular season because of the situation, you know, at the tight end situation, um, you look at these guys and, uh, Matt Lynch, Nick Fisher, Jake Peters, and Jake Peters is the only one that was recruited as a tight end to the Division One level. Um, Matt Lynch, I always kind of chuckle about. We had controversy with that guy about, oh, we don't recruit in-state quarterbacks, blah blah blah, and, and he winds up back with us anyway. All these years later, um, and then you know Nick Fisher was a machine, was an animal at the Division Two level last year. Uh, 39 catches, 596 yards. So he can, and he's huge, 6'5, 270. So I think he's a guy, Nick Fisher for sure to me is a guy that can do everything you want a tight end to do because he's got that size to block up front, but he's also a threat to catch the ball and, and do something with it once he does. Uh, Jake Peters, of course, remains to be seen whether he is allowed to play this year, but I'm hopeful. I mean, I think they just ought to let everybody play this year given the circumstances, but we'll see. But again, he's the only one recruited as a tight end to this level. And then Matt Lynch had been around this level of football for four years. Um, you know, and we've seen quarterbacks successfully become tight ends. And so I think all three of those guys could potentially be a factor this year. And then of course we got our two freshman guys 
who I'm excited about as well. So uh, if I had if I had to pick the one that I think would be the biggest impact, I think it's probably going to be Nick Fisher, the big kid from Division Two. And the guy you really have to feel bad about in this group is Jared Poplowski. He had to go in for another surgery and the poor guy just has not been able to stay healthy. He came in because he, he was flipped from Arizona state late in the recruiting process and had a good first camp. I remember Gary Bernardi talked about his potential as a pass catcher and uh, just has not been able to stay healthy. It's unfortunate there. Uh, at some point you wonder if he's going to just give up, but well, we did see yeah. Jalen Jackson's, uh, you know, him sticking with it, he finally got over the hump, and maybe at some point that'll happen to Poplowski, but it just hasn't happened so far. Yeah, I think it's different at tight end, though, because you've got to be up front banging on people, and I don't know, you know, with all the various injuries he's had, if I, if I was his dad, maybe I'm saying, hey, maybe it's time to hang this up because 30 years from now you want to be able to walk. Fingers crossed for him, but we'll see. On the offensive line, there's obviously some established guys there. William Sherman moving back to left tackle. Uh, Colby Purcell, you would assume, is going to slide into center where he played as a redshirt freshman. Kari Kush, he played pretty well, quietly was one of their their better offensive linemen last year. And then you, you got to assume Frank Phillips, the odds-on favorite at right tackle. That that leaves for a pretty intriguing battle at right guard. You've got Casey Roddick, Cannon Ray, who I like his potential a lot now that he's healthy. I wouldn't even discount guys like Chance Lytle. And even Austin Johnson, I've heard good things about him. Uh, who do you who do you think is is the favorite to win that starting right guard job? Well, you know, first thing I want to say is, is I'm a huge Kari Kush fan, and I think looking at the film last year, he was our most consistent offensive lineman from day one until the end of the season. You know, he may not have had the spectacular plays that you saw from Hambright or or from um, William Sherman. But he never did. He didn't have bad plays either. He was just very solid all the way across and a very good offensive lineman at that right guard spot. You know, the, the I guess based on who's played before, you'd say Roddick is the favorite. And he's certainly huge and moves well. But I'm going to go with Cannon Ray because he brings a thing to this offensive line that we haven't seen up there in a while. And I'm just going to sum it up with the word mean. I mean, he plays with an attitude. He plays with a level of mean. Um, you know, we saw it in his high school film and I, I would say every time we see a photograph of the offensive line, he's got that kind of look on his face, like, Hey, I don't want to mess with that guy. Uh, so I think he's going to bring a level. He's not, he's not as just ginormous as Casey Roddick, but he's certainly big enough for a, a power five offensive lineman. You know, he'll be over 300 and I think he's had some time to get ready. And he's a guy I've been excited to see actually play in games for three years now. So I, I think he might be the one that actually ends up winning that spot to me because because he brings a combination of talent and attitude that goes with it. And you're, you're really looking to try to cultivate some depth at tackle too throughout this preseason camp. And, and the one guy that I know we're both high on in terms of his potential going forward is Valentin Sen from Austria right. and just a massive human being and uh, it, it's impressive that he's made it, the strides he has in a short period of time because, you know, you're just not getting the high level of football over in Austria. And, and so uh, he seems to have a higher ceiling than, than most for that reason. Yeah, I mean, he's ridiculously large. I mean, he, he is, if you just look at him 
uh, in terms of measurements and testing or whatever, he is your prototype NFL tackle based on size alone and, and ability to move. The other thing he brings to the table is, by all accounts, he's got a tremendous work ethic, and, and that has to be true given the advances he's made in the weight room. Um, and so, like you said, he's a guy that's going to have a higher upside. Like a lot of guys in, in the States on the offensive line, you know, sometimes they reach their potential in the high school level. They don't get a lot better. But Valentin Sand is going to be a guy, you know, nobody, there was nobody over there to talk to could teach him how to play the game. So he's going to be here and he's just going to get better and better and better as he plays more. Now, you know, that, that brings up the big question mark on the offensive line for us is um, uh, can coach Rodri coach these guys? Um, and we'll wait and see, but you know, I have a good feeling about that as well. So yeah, Valentin Sand is another guy I really want to keep an eye on, on the offensive line. What's funny with offensive line recruiting is, is you get a couple guys and Jake Ray and Carson Lee that are really highly recruited and people are so excited about them. And then they come in the program and they kind of disappear for a minute, right? Cause they've got right. to kind of get in the incubator. Um, those, those are guys that I would be surprised down the line if they're not starters at CU at well, some point. Yeah. And I, and I think if you have a, if you have a solid, healthy offensive line program, and let's be on. Let's let's be clear about this. In college football, you got to have a program because you got to have guys that you're going to lose them every year, seniors, you know, and you got to replace them. So if you really have a good program going on the offensive line, even as talented as a guy can be on the, uh, as a true freshman, you don't want to play them because you should have sophomores, juniors, seniors. And so Casey Roddick and Cannon Ray were as highly recruited as those two kids as Jake Ray, you know, and um, they were as highly recruited back in their day as those guys were. So they ought to be ahead of them because they got a couple of years of physical growth, which is huge and working at a power five level strength program with a coach. So uh, the way you want it to work is that those guys are highly recruited and then all of a sudden they disappear for a couple of years and then all, all of a sudden they jump in as third year guys and boom, man, they're really good. Before we move to defense, is there anything else you want to throw out there regarding the O-line and kind of your expectations? Well, I expect it to be a very good offensive line. I mean, they're really there. It's, it's got some um, experience. It's got size. It's got uh, strength. I love our strength program. Um, and so coach R is not coming into a bear cupboard by any means. He's got, you know, this is how you want it to happen. You get a guy drafted in the NFL and you got a guy in um, Frank Phillip who has got everything you need to replace him. Okay. Well, sure. He doesn't have the experience didn't play that much last year, but that's the way it works. And so I think we're in a really great position to replace the guys we lost last year with guys who may be even better this year. And that's how it, that's how it works. So I'm very excited about this offensive line. And I, if, they, if they're not good, it's going to be on coach R. So there's talent and depth at running back, talent and depth at receiver. You've got a, a pretty good number one tight end in Brady Russell. You expect the O-line to be pretty good. You bring back three starters there. Frank Phillip, a guy that has started a couple games already. That, that's a lot of pressure on the quarterback. <laughs> you know, that's that's the one question mark with this offense. And Well, there, there's a second question mark, and, that, and that's going to be Chev calling plays. Good point, yeah. So, you know, I mean, he didn't do so well the first time around a couple of years ago. Hopefully he's learned something and has better support this time around. So there's really two big question marks, I think, on offense 
to me, but there's a lot to work with. So there's reason for optimism. Yeah. With Chev, I see both sides of it. You know, there's fans that were disappointed in how predictable the offense that he called in his one year as, as the play caller looked and, and just, you had, it, 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 there were issues there, but on the other side of it, this is a guy that has recruited his butt off for you. And that was his first ever time calling plays at the PAC 12 level. At some point, somebody's going to give him another chance. And if it's not here at CU, he was going to have to go somewhere else. You know, one of the things that I, that, that this is going to seem counterintuitive, but I think it's actually better for him that, um, that LaVisca Chenault moved on because it's very easy to hang your, your play calling on that one transformational guy. Right. But then everybody on defense loads up on him. And if you don't have a way to go away from him, which we didn't, you're in trouble. And that's what happened. And so this year there is no one guy that you're going to hang your hat on. You got all these different guys. And so you can really open up your offense and do a lot of different things. And I think Chev is a smart guy. I think he's got a level of, he's got, he's got a level of humility that allows him to say, you know what? I wasn't very good, but I can get better. And some guys are like, well, hey, I know what I'm doing. It wasn't my fault. And that guy will never get better. So I'm, I'm optimistic about it. Moving over to defense, the guy that everybody wants to know about is Antonio Alfano. Yeah. He's worked his way back into the good graces of the program. And it sounds like he's been dependable here for a, a decent stretch of time, which is a good sign. But uh, we don't know if he's going to be eligible to play this year. That's something that we'll ask Carl Durrell about once they start up camp. But uh, even if he's eligible, he's he might be part of the rotation, but he's not going to be a starter in that group. Yeah. And, you know, he hasn't played football. He hasn't been in a football game in what, three years, two years. I, I'm not a hundred percent clear on his timeline, but I think it's three years. And it? it's been since high school. Yeah. I mean, yeah. you got, you got to say that him being on Alabama's roster for a spring ball and he had two sacks in the spring game there that that was pretty good experience it's not game experience but yeah, he he at least got got that at you know arguably the best program in the country right and that's a good point so that's that's a fair point as well but i still think there's going to be some rust to shake off and i think I, I i know people say well he was the number one rated recruit in the country so he's going to be an all-american well, not not you know he's not going to come in and from his first play be a guy that nobody can block. Well, I mean, maybe I mean it could happen, but I, I wouldn't go to Vegas and bet a lot of money on it. Uh, he's going to need to get he's going to have to have time to really get his feet back under him. But I do think that down the road he's if 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 he has grown up and is more dependable guy and is going to put in the work, then yeah, the the sky's the limit. Certainly, he could he could play his way to being a first round draft pick. He's got that kind of talent. Will he do that? Remains to be seen. But it's nice that we have the talent on this team that we don't have to play him. So you know, there's no pressure on him one way or the other. He just got to work hard and come out and earn earn the playing time. Obviously, we know Mustafa Johnson is an all conference type guy. Win healthy last year after that dirty play in the Arizona State game, just was never able to get back to 100%. I mean, I saw him walking off the field after they had beaten Stanford, and he could barely he could barely walk off the field. So he he tried to grit through it, and if he's healthy, again, he's just a 
he's just a disruptor in there. And you saw Terrence Lang go from being, uh, you know, kind of a, a specialist, a guy that you can play, put out there for every down, really take that next step as, as a player and was, uh, you know, led the team in sacks last year. The question is, if he takes another jump, I mean, Terrence Lang's an NFL guy, but right. we'll just have to see what kind of jump he did make. Well, I think Mustafa Johnson's an NFL guy too, because when Mustafa Johnson is healthy, you know, again, I don't mean to sound stupid, but he's Aaron Donald kind of reminds me of Aaron Donald in the NFL, you know, undersized, but nobody can block him because he's so quick and athletic. You know, when he is not injured, he's the kind of guy who gets three sacks in a game, you know, and he's done that. So I think Mustafa Johnson, absolutely, if he stays healthy, is a guy who could be an All-America level player. Terrence Lang certainly could be an All-America level player. Uh, do they end up doing that this year? Well, well, we'll see. You know, Terrence Lang has progressed each year in, I think, a pretty linear fashion. And if he continues to do that this year, he could really be kind of an unblockable force on that defensive line. And the nice thing for both of those guys is that we got a dude in the middle of the line, Jalen Sammy, who's going to require a double team. So it, it's hard to scheme that out when you got three guys like that. How are you going to block them? I don't think you want to block Terrence Lang one-on-one unless you've got a darn good, you know, offensive tackle out there to handle him. So I am looking for big things from those three guys. I'm very excited about it. And uh, the the rotation and how that shakes out will be interesting. You've got Austin Williams, who in his first year playing as a defensive lineman, he was an offensive lineman in high school, backed Jalen Sammy up last year and looked like he's a guy that's going to have a, a pretty bright future as well. Uh, Naeem Rodman played quite a bit last year as a true freshman. You have Justin Jackson transferring in from the JUCO ranks. Dante Spiracco, uh had to come back as a walk-on, but he's a guy that won a bunch of scout awards last year. Janaz Jordan played last year. Jeremiah Doss played a little bit. And then Jaden Simon and Lloyd Murray Jr. both redshirted last year. So that's just a lot of names I rattled off right there. I don't know. What's the ideal defense line rotation? Six guys? Well, well, you know, I never coasted a place where I had a rotation. I was always trying to find three guys or depending on our front, we were playing four guys that could just play, you know, so it's hard for me to say. I, I think, um, you know, uh, people talk about like an eight man rotation, maybe uh, you know, if we're going to play a lot of three man front then at least a six man rotation. So you got two complete lines, but I think we've got enough guys here that we can really play a lot of guys, you know, Austin Williams to me is the perfect backup to um, Jalen Sammy because they're very similar players. They're just, they're just unbelievably ridiculously large, but both have long arms and athleticism, you know, so they're not just big fat guys playing in there. And then Rodman is very similar to Mustafa Johnson in terms of his stature. And, but he also came in more polished because he came from a very good program. So he's a guy that you don't have any hesitation playing. The guy I'm looking forward to is, is Lloyd Murray Jr. Cause at one point he was very highly recruited and he certainly got the size and athleticism. Um, and then we got that trio of juniors in there, Dawson, Jordan, and Jackson. Well, four, four guys, Baracko. I think they're all kind of wild cards to me. I want to see what they can produce this year. They're not any, not any one of those four is to, is to me the talent level of Terrence Lang or Mustafa Johnson or Jalen Sammy, but certainly guys that can give you quality snaps. So uh, it's a great uh, group of guys for Chris Wilson. And if anybody knows how to develop a defensive line, he's the guy. So I'm very excited about that whole situation. 
And credit to Jimmy Brumbaugh, when he came to Boulder, that defensive line room was kind of a mess in terms of lack of numbers and experience. And uh, all of a sudden, in just one year, he he made that group look like, uh, you know, one that has a really bright future. Right. Because, you know, we'd gone through the previous 10, 15 years. You know, some years we didn't even know if we had three guys that could be quality starters. You know, and a lot of those years, you know, five, six, seven years ago, we were looking at, well, we have one guy. Do we, can we find two more? So it's very exciting now to have uh, what I would call a pipeline. We've got three obvious starters, and then we've got a bunch of guys that are going to have to fight to get playing time behind them. So it, it's a, a bright future on the defensive line, and we've got a good coach to, to work with those guys. We expected Carson Wells to be a breakout player last year, but he had a turf toe injury that he was dealing, or I think actually it was plantar fasciitis that he was dealing with. And that's one of those injuries where, yeah, you can try to play through the pain, but your explosiveness just is not going to be to the same level. And so uh, that makes me wonder, okay, so is 2020 the year that he really breaks out? Well, I think a a lot of people probably say, well, plantar fasciitis, how serious can that be? Let me tell you what I, I, went through it a couple of years ago and it's excruciating. It's hard to even walk much less push off and jump and explode the way these guys do at this level of football. And especially at a position like, like outside linebacker where you got to push off that foot and, and really be able to explode. But Carson Wells is a, a very rare level of athlete with his size and the things that he can do in terms of running and jumping and athleticism is really kind of crazy. So he's a guy that when he is fully healthy and, and um, is playing his game can be as good as any outside linebacker in the country at this level. And, and certainly I think is going to be a long time NFL, uh, very solid outside linebacker. So he's a guy who is a, is a question mark. And if, if he answers all those questions, he's the kind of guy that can almost single handedly change the outcome of games in my view. You've also got Jamar Montgomery and Guy Thomas, a junior college transfer that began his college career at Nebraska, joining the mix there. Josh Kagustoff is a redshirt freshman now. And then you've got three pretty talented freshmen, one a super talented freshman and Jason Harris at outside linebacker, as well as Devin Grant and Alvin Williams. Well, what are kind of your expectations for how the depth is going to shake out around Carson Wells, their outside linebacker? Because we saw with Tyson Summers, he likes to have two true outside linebackers on the field a, a lot of the time. Yeah, and I like that. I'm an old school guy in that way, and I, I prefer to have that as well because it gives you a lot of different options in terms of what you can do against offenses. So uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I think there's a, I think there's Carson Wells, and then there's a lot of question marks because you know Jamar Montgomery to me has not done much since he's been in, at, at CU, and then Guy Thomas comes in with a lot of talent on board. Um, but I would say arguably did not do a whole lot in Nebraska, but he was a young guy. So let's see what happens. He certainly got the size and explosiveness to be a very effective outside linebacker here. You know, Joshua Gustav, I don't know. He's still a question mark to me. I'm not sure that he's necessarily a guy, a, a big time guy, but then I look at the three freshmen, Alvin Williams, Devin Grant, and Jason Harris. And I love all three of those guys, all three of those guys. And I think they bring different things to the game. Alvin Williams and Devin Grant are, are, are more thick and stout than Jason Harris, but I haven't seen a pure pass rush uh, talent at CU like Jason Harris in a long time. Uh, more so in my view uh, than any of the guys we've had in the last five, 10 years. Um, so I'm very excited about him. 
the question becomes how many different things can those three young guys do? So how can you use them in a game? You know, for example, Jason Harris in in an obvious passing situation, you want him out there getting out of the quarterback, but can you play him on all three downs? Can you play him against the run? Don't know. You know, he, he's a tall, skinnier guy right now, but he's been in there and maybe he's sticking himself up and he's ready to go. Alvin Williams and Devin Grant, I think, are both bigger, thicker dudes who you would, would think would play better against the run. But can they provide a pass rush for you? So those are questions that need to get answered in practice. And then I think I think we need those three guys to step up and be able to play because I'm not sure I'm sold on Jamar Montgomery and Josh Gustav. At inside linebacker, obviously Nate Lamon is the unquestioned leader of this entire defense, and he's mentioned that Tyson Summers is going to give him more freedom to to make some checks at, before the ball is snapped this year, and so he's going to have some more freedom in the defense. He's talked about how he's gotten better in pass coverage. He saw a little bit of that late last season, still not the strength of his game, but uh, yeah, he's just so fun to watch. It had they not had this 2020 season, we never got to see Nate Lamon in a CU uniform again. That would have been a real shame. Yeah, that would have been one of the, you know, I hate hate to use this word, but one, I think it would have been one of the great tragedies of CU football history if we couldn't see him play again. He, he you know, Nate Lamon and Akil Jones are as good a pair of inside linebackers as I think we we can we will find in the Pac-12. I think those two guys are as good as any any pair of inside linebackers we're going to see in this conference this year and Akil Jones really just kind of exploded out of nowhere last year again we talked about a couple guys uh if they don't if they're not injured they're going to really step it up well that's what happened with Akil Jones last year Nate Lamman is so instinctive at that inside linebacker position and now that they can let him give him some calls and kind of turn him free he doesn't have to think about the defense like he did early last year I think he's just going to go nuts and then the question mark becomes, where's the where's the depth behind those guys? Well, people forget that John Van Deese got hurt last year, too. And, and so he's not a guy that, that you can forget about. And, and so he's going to be in the mix there for sure. Um, a couple of young started, guys. Yeah, he, he started, started, started the season last year. He had yeah, that first, uh, first forced game, fumble. Right? Yep. Three or four. So, the, yeah, the, where the depth comes in, it'll be interesting. Marvin Ham and Al Capel are both redshirt freshmen that I think might factor in. There, you've got some other guys there, like Chase Newman. He's kind of a tweener. Ray Robinson, probably the same. We haven't heard a whole lot about Quinn Perry. Yeah. Quinn Perry was a guy I really loved his film at the JUCO level. So we'll see what he does, you know, with a year under his belt. So we'll we'll see. Um, but I think Marvin Ham and Alec Pell are the kind of the guys with the higher ceiling uh, over the next three or four years. So we'll see what they bring as well. At cornerback, you've got three guys that have starting experience now with Makai Blackman, K.J. Trujillo, Tariq Luckett, and then Miami transfer Nigel Bethel Jr. joins the mix. The guy there, I'm probably the most excited about his potential is K.J. Trujillo, but Luckett's not too far behind there. I mean, he he seemed to make strides pretty quickly after being converted as a receiver. Yeah, and so I think you wonder about doesn't he have a higher upside if he hasn't really played that position a lot? Plus, he's also got – it seems to me has more length than the other two, which makes a big difference at that position and, and is very athletic. So, you know, the nice thing is we got four guys there that are going to have to compete. So if we're not just going to play this guy because he's the only guy we got. So, you know, we got those four guys. Um, Christian Gonzalez comes in as a, as a very highly rated recruit and we'll see how he fits into the mix. But uh, you, you look at that cornerback position, you got a, a lot of guys who, who have who've 
gotten some playing time over the last couple of years. And, and you know what, frankly, did pretty well for being thrown into some rough circumstances and, and probably learned some hard lessons. And that's going to pay off this year. What are your thoughts on Chris Miller moving to safety? He's obviously going to be on the smaller end and he's had injury problems in the past, but you, you had to move a couple guys from corner to safety. You didn't have a choice. There just were not enough bodies on the back end. And so Chris Miller and Jalen Stryker, the Juco transfer are the guys that were moved from corner to safety. Did, did you like those picks or is there somebody else you think could have had that transition? Well, you know, I mean, I think, uh, a lot of guys wanted to be cornerbacks and, you know, I, I think Christian Gonzalez to me is, is a long-term safety down the road, but he wanted to play corner and as a true freshman, I'm going to give him that opportunity. So I think the obvious guy out of all those, you know, if you look at Makai Blackman, KJ Trujillo, Tariq Lockett, Nigel Bethel, I'm not putting any of those four guys at safety, right? I mean, they, they don't have the size. I mean, I think Chris Miller's got the best size out of those five guys. I mean, and he listed about six foot, 200, something like that, six one. So he's got good enough size. Uh, and, and he's got really, I think he's got really excellent talent to play in the back end of the state of the secondary. So let's put him in there and let's, let, well, let's see what we can get out of him. Um, I, I think he's the best choice out of the, out of that group of guys at cornerback to move over there in my view. And Darian Rakestraw, it's been awesome to see his development. He was a guy early in his career. You just didn't think he was ever going to get on the field. He was having a hard time finding a permanent spot, went from receiver to corner. And then late, what did that have been? Late during the 2018 season, you started to see a little little flash from him there. And then he really worked hard to be a starter and and a guy that could rely on, had some some big plays last season. Uh, It's a big reason they beat Arizona State and had a big interception in the Stanford game. If he makes another jump, uh, I don't know if he's necessarily an NFL guy, but he's a guy that uh, you're going to talk about as kind of a leader on the back end. Yeah, and, you know, I think people forget that two years ago, it wasn't just late. I mean, he made a couple big plays on the goal line at Nebraska two years ago that maybe, you know, maybe saved that game for us um, when he was brand new at the position. So he has really improved every – he's, you know, he's – funny he's turned into a guy who makes big plays who who finds the ball makes interceptions knocks passes down and some guys have that ability and some guys don't you know like Tedrick Thompson was that guy just was able to make plays and you had we've had a lot of guys run through the safety positions who don't make plays and Darian Rakestraw to me certainly has the size and the athleticism to play at the next level and he's improved his game significantly in my view each year so yeah if he makes that if he makes that jump this year he could very well play at the next level um i don't know where, i don't know where, where his size is now but what is he like six two two ten something something in that nature so he's certainly got the size to play back there he's got great length and just as a playmaker in my view so i'm very excited about him he's a guy Again, we talked about will the seniors come back well he's a guy let's see if he i, I think he needs to play his way to the next level. And if he doesn't, maybe, maybe, doesn't, maybe he comes back. I don't know, but I'm excited about him. I think he is a very solid player as solid a player as we've had back there since, you know, 2016. Josh Watts joins the mix. He's going to be the punter and he's also going to be the holder. James Stefano coming back from hip surgery. William, I got to run here pretty quick, but there's a couple things I wanted to run through here before we sign off. Uh, just in terms of our biggest concerns for the buffs going into camp, we already talked about, 
the inexperienced quarterback. You mentioned, uh, you know, Cheverini and, and what he's right. going to look like as a play caller this year. How does that dynamic work with Carl Drill and Danny Langsdorf? Well, what other concerns do you have? Is, is there anything that kind of jumps off the, the page? Are you worried about this team's psyche a little bit after the, the strange offseason they've had? No, I, I don't I don't think so, because what I see and I don't have an inside player up there anymore. But what I see is they seem to be fairly uh, united as a team and, and have a good mindset about what's going on. So I'm I'm really kind of excited about that part. Really, to me, the, the question marks are. The QB position, Darren Cheverini is offensive coordinator. And in a larger sense, you know, um, is can Carl Durrell bring this team together and be a good coach, <clears throat> both in terms of developing talent and on game day? So, you know, it's a brand new coaching staff. So there's always a question mark. Are they going to be able to get it done together uh, in that first year? So that to me is a, is a big question mark. This is a team that has quite a bit of depth, more than than most recent CU teams. But it also doesn't have maybe some of the top in talent we've we've had when you've got a guy like LaVisca Chenault on your team. You said maybe that that ends up being a positive because you kind of spread the ball around a little bit. But when I did my top 30 countdown this year, you're splitting hairs. It felt like with more guys this year than maybe in the past. In terms of pick pick them. Yeah, right. In terms of just, you know, like at the running back, you know, you know, Jaron Mangum and, and Alex Fontenot, those are both really talented guys. It's, but it's not like the clear LaVisca Chenault type, you know what I mean? Right. At, at the position. Yeah. And I, and I, I think that's, I think that's a fair statement too, that it was very difficult to rank some of those guys. I mean, I think the top three or four was pretty obvious to everybody. Uh, but beyond that, it got pretty tough for sure. In terms of reasons for optimism, one reason is Mark Perry, I think has a chance to be a star at the star position. He really kind of came on late last season and is a guy that uh, Tyson Summers is going to get really creative with in terms of third down. I think he's a guy that's going to be kind of a household name after this upcoming season. Yeah. And I think for me, um, these are the best, this is the best combination of offensive and defensive lines that we've had at the same time in a long time at CU. I mean, I think we got both star power and talent across the board on both lines. When you're solid up front on both sides of the ball, you got a chance to be a pretty good team. And I think we got real star power at linebacker too. So I, I just look at big reason for optimism to me is that every position outside of a quarterback is pretty darn solid. I don't see a lot of question marks, frankly. So um, I, I think the, the the talent and the and the experience that we bring back on this team is very exciting to me. Are there any guys on either side of the ball that you think are going to exceed expectations this year? Well, the first name to me is Alex Fontenot, because I think people have way too low expectations for that guy. And I think he could be, a well, he's not going to be a 1,500-yard rusher with with only six games. But you know what I mean. I I think he's going to explode and really take it to the next level um, after his year last year where he really got the experience. And, you know, all he has to do is learn how to break those those last tackles and, and he could be a big time guy. So he, he's one on offense for me. Um, you know, I'm high on Kerry Kutch and, and Will, Will Sherman can't really exceed expectations because everybody expects him to be a first team all conference guy. But I think Kerry Kutch, Kari Kutch is one. Colby Purcell is the guy people forget about a lot. Um, so that, that'd be the names that come to me on offense. 
I want to throw out another name too, Dimitri Stanley. You know, he had some big catches last year. We didn't have quite the consistency that you want to see, but he was also a young guy getting a lot of his first significant playing time. So he's a guy that I could see take a jump too. And uh, I think it takes a little time maybe to get comfortable as a returner at this level. And he could be a guy following, following in his dad's footsteps, who was obviously a great returner. Um, and then defense, we talked about guy Thomas. He's one guy that I think is going to actually have a pretty big role on the team. Any, any guys on defense? Well, you know, the guy that I look at and I'm kind of rubbing my hands together in excitement is Jalen Sammy because I think uh, he was a, a redshirt freshman last year and he was pretty darn good with that experience under his belt. I think he could be an unblockable force up front for us because he's just so big and so long. So I think Jalen Sammy is a guy I'm going to keep an eye on in terms of and, and he gets he gets forgotten because everybody talks about Mustafa and Terrence Lang and you know, people don't talk about the nose tackle. So I, I think he's a guy who's not going to just op- occupy blockers. I think he's going to be unblockable and um, really make plays. So he's a guy that stands out to me as, as very exciting. All right. Well, William, I got to run. I've got a call with 24 seven sports. I got to hop on, but this was great. Just getting a chance to kind of almost like a, a refresher uh, going down the roster and, and kind of, gearing back up for for camp I, I can't wait to have even more things to talk about Let, let's do this again sometime soon definitely i'm excited about it so thanks for having me on board as always uh it's nice to get back to football it sure is all right well that's our show for today thanks to all of you for tuning in